We got a lot of verses to cover, guys. I'm kidding. Um, we will be focusing on six verses 16 through 21, but we're not going to go in a linear order um, because if we've learned anything in the last 10 years, it's all relative. We can do whatever we want. Okay. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you are the static and the standard, Lord, that um, you do not change, that you are who you are from everlasting to everlasting, as Jonathan said, everlasting and past without limit and everlasting into the future without limit. We thank you for that confidence and for that um, gift, really. Father, we just pray that you would be with us here today, that as we go through your word here, um, that it would be edifying to your people. We pray that your spirit would um, help us to understand and really that you would be glorified by the continuation of this worship service, Lord. We do pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Hmm. I'll just read this. It's certainly easy to get worked up, panicky, anxious, confused, and even lost in despair, especially if we're looking out at the world around us. We're continually inundated with uh, the moral decay that surrounds us. Uh, um, the, it seems like over time, if you pay attention to TV, not that you should, that it went from little things that were acceptable maybe lying, gossiping, and even those early on were not uh, valued, but it seems like they were given a pass, and then it just kind of grew into um, being able to say the seven words that you're not allowed to say on TV. But then we also see that we have these foolish ideas that throw science out the window, it seems like, um, and we read some of it in here uh, in verses um, 26 and on, um, especially concerning children uh, being allowed to decide if they are actually male or female, regardless of what their biology says. But we should know what the problem is, and it shouldn't panic us, and it shouldn't uh, make us anxious. It should um, make us concerned for those around us, as Bill was talking about in his evangelism class. Um, and we know that it isn't a political issue that we're dealing with. It isn't a, an issue of worldview or, or um, anything like that. We, we should understand that it's a spiritual issue, and I think the scriptures clearly teach that, that it's a spiritual issue that we're dealing with. And so as we go through these passages, we're, we're going to see, as the title says, that all are without excuse but not without hope, um, and that the real basic biblical reality of this is that all men know God, all men are under the wrath of God, and all men can only, be, can only find rescue or salvation in the gospel, who is Jesus Christ. So first we want to look at um, the Bible as it says that all men know God. And we see that, we'll start in verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, 
being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because, and here's, I guess, the thing that we want to look at, although they knew God, they did not glorify him. What Paul is saying in what has been said in the Old Testament and throughout all of history and um, this really neat thing that God has set up is that we can know God by seeing his attributes clearly displayed in all of creation. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of, the, of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. The idea here is that a created object always shows the attributes of, a, of its creator. If you think of Van Gogh's Starry Night, I guess that could have been a picture for you guys to look at, um, but I think we're all familiar with it. We can see that Van Gogh was... Um, brilliant, creative, but we, in the way he painted that, we could also see that there was this anxiousness and this sadness and this kind of um, romantic uh, side of, of what, the, what we call the kids emo nowadays. And so likewise, when we're looking at creation, whether it be a big mighty oak tree, or a teeny tiny little mosquito, we're seeing the eternal power and Godhead, or the divine nature. We're seeing things about God, and we're understanding these things. We're seeing that these things um, that were created was created by something greater and more powerful than itself. That the start of something had to come from somewhere, and that's the eternal power of God, that his, his eternalness is everlasting. Nothing just starts without someone or something setting it and creating it and making it. And we see here um, that we can see other things, like the life that's given to the tree or the mosquito or a human comes from the person who is life, the one who can give that life. It just doesn't pop out of the air. It doesn't just create itself and um, move forward. But outside the power, we also see the divine nature. And this one's a little bit more general in its um, explanation here. Now, we know that from the Bible, that the Bible speaks about how we are able to see the wisdom of God, the goodness of God, and even the righteousness of God in some sections but we, but we can see what people always point to, the creativity of God or the love of God or um, the goodness of God. I mean, you think about looking at how we've discovered different things within creation. It had to come from somewhere. The law of physics, we didn't make that up. We're too stupid. It was already there. We just found it. The ecosystem, the way things work with each other, that was already there. That was set by the wisdom of God and the provision of God. All of these things had to come from somewhere, somewhere that was greater, somewhere that was more powerful, and somewhere that was able to start these things and uphold these things until he says so. And so we, the creation declares his handiwork in that sense. But there's another aspect of creation, and this is why... Uh, I had the scripture be so long because we find it in chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, where it says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, 
These, although not having the law, are law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience all is bearing witness, and between themselves, their thoughts accusing or excusing them. It's easy to say that, oh, God gave us a book. But before he gave us a book, before he gave us the law of Mount Sinai, he created us. We were made in the image of God. And because we were made in the image of God, we know certain things, or if you want to follow here, um, law or standard or whatever you want to call it, that must, that is good. For instance, love. It's kind of an abstract idea. Who's, that had to come from somewhere. It wasn't thought up by a man pursuing a woman or for romantic love. It wasn't thought up by a parent having a child. That love that we know and that we feel was already there because it came through us in the image of God. And so not loving other people and not loving God became a law unto itself, it says. Or what about, I I call this, I guess I already touched on this, or no, forgiveness. What about forgiveness? Who came up with forgiveness? Was there a tribunal that sat around, or a committee, or a board, or anything that sat around, and Stan was like, hey, you know, what happens if Pete spits in my face? And then the other people were like, hmm, what, what should happen? Well, I think um, the, with, if we remove God from the equation, uh, well, that would remove everything, but let's just say we remove God from the equation, that, that the appropriate reaction to that was to punch Pete in the face and not Pete Healy. I just want to make that clear. Um, but Stan punching Pete uh, would be okay. But we know within ourselves that there's a different way, a better way, the way that we should go, and that's forgiveness. That we can, if Pete does genuinely feel um, sad and remorseful and repentant of that, that we should forgive him and that we should maintain that relationship and not punch him in the face. And so um, these these abstract ideas, quote-unquote, that we have, they could not have come from us because we would not have done them appropriately. We wouldn't have done them well. We wouldn't even thought of them. But we know that God is a forgiving God, and we know that he is a loving God. And if you, here's another example. I call it provisional love. Um, when a person or when a woman's pregnant and the, uh, you're, they're about to have the baby, what do they do? The reaction is to care for that child and to protect that child, to nurture that child. Where did that come from? Did we make that up? Did Eve make that up? I don't think so. I think that comes from the fact that we were made in God's image. And so, because we know that he is, he's created us, and he's providing for us, and he's, he's nurturing us, and he's caring for us, and he's protecting us. And so we know from what we've seen in creation Um, his power and his divine nature and explicitly in these two verses 
that there is not a God, but, but there is God. Because everything that's created points to that which it was crea- uh, that which created it. And we know that a Van Gogh starry night, regardless of whose name was on it, was not done by Monet or Jackson Pollock, but we know that it was by Van Gogh. And so we know that there is no such thing as a vague God, but that there is a specific God. As Dave prayed, the only God, the true and living God. And that is the God that has shown himself through creation and through the law written on our hearts and our conscience. It wasn't Allah. It wasn't Buddha or Vishnu or or it wasn't human secularism sitting around saying, hey, this is how we should act with each other. But it was God showing himself and revealing himself here. I want to conclude this section with uh, one last thought. There are some out there that will say that our sinful nature, us being in a fallen world, will distort the revelation of God and it obscures the revelation of God. But that's not consistent with the language that we see here. Um, If we look at 17, the righteousness of God is revealed. 18, the wrath of God is revealed. Uh, 19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible, invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. The language says that we definitely can know God. We know that he exists because of what he's revealed in creation. And that removes the argument, oh, I didn't know it was you were the God that I was supposed to worship. I, did, I thought it was the, uh, this, um, this uh, well, we'll do slash Egyptians and slash Chris. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to worship a cat or a cow. I thought I, thought I could just worship whatever. No. God removes that excuse. He removes the argument of ignorance from um, our, 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 our argument, the, the, our, our, what we can say. And he says that we are all without excuse because of this. And the question that we have to ask is, um, how are we without excuse? And that leads us to the second point, that all men are under the wrath of God. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. The first thing that we have to note is the wrath of God. Now, God is not an arbitrary God that swings on his emotions. When he sees anything that opposes who he is, being goodness, holiness, love, 
in his justice. He, res- he responds with wrath. He cannot be in the presence of sin, the Bible says. He cannot allow these, these, um, this wickedness to go on. He hates ungodliness and unrighteousness. He can't abide with it. He can't abide with sin, with injustice, with wickedness, because it's all, an aff- it's all an affront against God. Well, how did that happen? How did it start? How did this unrighteousness and this wickedness against the holy God start? Well, I will say that it did not start in verse 22. It never starts in verse 22. It always starts in verse 21 and a little bit of 18. We see in verse 18 that there's a suppression of the truth in unrighteousness. That what they know about God, they suppress and they deny and they reject him. And when they do that, they're showing that, verse 21, that they did not glorify God. They refused him. They rejected him. They denied him. They refused to honor him and worship him, even though they knew him. And they were not thankful. In fact, we became selfish. We became, um, what do the older people call millennials? Where they expect everything to come to them? Entitled. We've become entitled. Entitlement didn't start with millennials. It started with Adam in the, in the, in the garden when he fell. And when they suppress the truth of God, verse 22 says, Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. That's like every other religion, isn't it? They passed on God and they took Muhammad. They passed on God and they took the elephant God in Hindu. They passed on God and they took humanism or secularism because this philosopher was right or that philosopher hit the nail on the head. So this unrighteousness and wickedness, um, and really we can title this ungodliness, as it says in verse 18, is idolatry. We've passed on God and we're creating our own gods. We're taking what he has shown us in creation and we're getting rid of the parts that we don't like and amplifying and distorting the parts that we do like. We're not keeping the God of the scriptures that has revealed himself in balance here. But verse 18 says, not just ungodliness, which I would call idolatry, it says unrighteousness. And we're going to see that in the following chapters or uh, verses here. 
Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Idolatry. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use of what is against nature. Likewise also to the men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, they're refusing it, they're suppressing it, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual morality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things who are deserving of death not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. It starts with idolatry, and then it continues into a moral decay, into a moral disintegration. And that's what we're seeing. Well, first of all, we see that in our own personal lives before Jesus Christ, don't we? We became the gods of our own lives. We followed our, after our own opinions and thoughts and, and standards. And that led us to different places. Not all these things that I just read happens to everyone. But one of these things, I'm sure, will happen to someone. Well, actually, except for haters of God. Lying is an unrighteousness. Gossiping is an unrighteousness. Thinking unclearly about ourselves, which we would call pride, is unrighteousness. But then it goes to different extremes here, or different areas here, whether it's sexual perversion or um, the thought that, um, that life has no value or meaning that it's okay to terminate at any time. And this is why all men are under the wrath of God. He's shown himself to us. We refused him. And we decided to live our lives unrighteously. Now, I want to shoot out um, something real quick here. There are those who share our morality and our ethics. And it's good and right for us to work with them in order to bring about good for all of humanity, whether it be the issue of abortion or um, justice or just anything. However, we cannot forget that just because they share our morality or our ethics, that they have rejected God. We've all rejected God in our lives. We've all pushed him aside and denied him and created our own God. It doesn't matter where you stand on these different issues and these different topics. It doesn't matter if you like, you read um, that we should be loving towards one another in the Bible and you say, yep, that's true. Well, if you're not glorifying God and you're not thankful towards God, agreeing with his word in that 
in that situation, agreeing that we should love each other, does no good for you. It does good for other people, I'm sure. But it does no good for you. And the other thing, so um, when it comes to uh, conservatism, we need to be careful. We need to work with those who are in line with our morals and ethics, but we need to be make sure that we understand that in the spiritual war, the spiritual issue that we're dealing with, that they still need the gospel. They're not off the hook just because of what uh, they agree with. And the next thing is progressive Christianity. I'm not going to be nuanced here because I, I don't... Um, the more I study it, the, the less that I... Uh, appreciate it, and it tends to be this way. They deny an attribute of God, which is his authority. And then they deny the scriptures as the word of God. And then they make up their own scriptures. And then no matter where they stand on different issues, they are rejecting God. And so we need to be careful when we're listening to podcasts or sermons that we understand where these people are coming from because they're going to say things that are very good sounding, very similar sounding. They'll cut out the part of forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven us. But then they'll say that we, yes, you're right. We do need to help the poor. Awesome. But, um, but I believe progressive Christianity is more dangerous in that they start with idolatry. Um, and then you can actually see a moral disintegration. Or maybe conservatism is actually uh, more dangerous because they don't know that they're in trouble. So, how is the wrath of God re- revealed? We didn't talk about that, and that's in ch- verse 18. From what I've read and studied, this is not talking about the future judgment, which uh, Paul has talked about um, in chapter 2 here. Uh, in verses 5 where it says treasuring up yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God um, and so forth I've read that from commentators that this is a historical revelation and that he shows people while they know God that judgment is upon them in verses 24 26 and 28. He says, Paul, God also gave them up to uncleanness. In verse 24. 26, for this reason God gave them up to value passions. In verse 28, God gave them over to a debased mind. God has shown who he is. And we reject God. And we keep rejecting God. And God just gives us the things that we actually want. We don't want God. No matter how much he puts himself out there, no matter how much he shows himself, we keep choosing uncleanness and vile passions in our debased mind. And so he gives us over to those things. And I don't know about you, but I know that in my life, when I was not running with the Lord, um, in actually, uh, and I was in opposition to Him, uh, there it came out in different ways. Whether it was the DUI, 
or the abortion or any or loneliness or anything. All of these things lead to um, are, are, is him giving me over to what I want. I chase after these things and there's an immediate judgment that seemed to follow. And that immediacy doesn't necessarily mean tomorrow. It could mean a year or two years. Or, you know, if we, I don't know if people still smoke anymore, or however long lung cancer starts to develop. But he gives himself over to what we choose. He wants us to choose him, but we deny him. And so we are under God's wrath. But there's good news. All men can, find, can only find rescue and salvation in the gospel. And the gospel is for all. It, it freely goes out to everyone to show um, uh, our unrighteousness, the righteousness, and the one who can, um, I guess, build a bridge between us and God, as those little pictures always said. For I am not ashamed, verse 16, of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And let's understand that the righteousness of God is not the cure for the wrath of God. It is the cure for our unrighteousness and our ungodliness. Christ has taken the... Christ has taken the wrath of God for us. But in his walk upon earth here, um, this promise that, we've, that Paul talks about in verse 2 that was promised through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning Jesus Christ our Lord, he was 100% born of the seed of David according to the flesh. And he walked righteously and perfectly. And what did he not do? He did not, not glorify or thank the Father. He glorified him. Um, Bill read this in, wow, maybe we should meet that one. Um, in John 17, uh, Jesus says, I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. He came glorifying God in every aspect. And he was seeking to honor him and to worship the Father and to, and to bring pleasingness and praise to the Father. But he was also declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness when he was raised from the dead. We know that he was perfectly God also. But our, our confession of faith says that there was no confusion or mixture between the two. It wasn't his, his divinity that made him righteous. It was his desire. It was him knowing who the Father was and wanting to honor and glorify him. He was really a man who lived a really righteous life without any um, excuse or help. But in his death, we see that he was the perfect sacrifice because of this righteousness. 
that he was able to take our sin on the cross for him. That he, all the righteousness and wickedness and ungodliness that we had was placed upon him. And that he would give us his righteousness in that place. And so while the righteousness of God is not the cure for the wrath of God, Jesus' substitutionary penal atonement, which the progressives deny, satisfied the wrath of God. So the wrath that was upon us was taken care of for us because of God, because of Jesus, because his willingness to lay his life down for us for the glory of the Father and to bring us into his fold. But it doesn't stop there. Because we know that there is new life in Jesus, that in his resurrection that we live. So we are transformed to live righteously. He didn't just save us from the punishment of sin. He saved us um, from continuing in the wickedness and the unrighteousness and the ungodliness that we were walking in. And so his Holy Spirit dwells within us to, to move and to motivate and to encourage us to live righteously like Jesus. Because we're united with Christ, his, his um, righteous virtues come out of us. And it starts with glorifying God. And that's what we should do, Christians. We should be glorifying God and thanking God in everything we do. We start with following the leading of the Holy Spirit. When you're about to sin, he gives you a way out, doesn't he? Kind of knocks on your head, says, you know, that's not bueno. Let's go glorify God. And so how do we glorify God in that moment? We thank him that we no longer live bounded to our sinful nature, but that we are free to live in Christ. We, 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 we glorify God when we go to the cross and say, Jesus died for this sin. And, he, and, he, and, he, and by his spirit, he lives within me, so I don't have to, to fall into this sin. I know if, if, I, if I start gossiping about other people, that I, I'll start to start to feel self-important and whatnot. But that's not what God did. He humbled himself. He didn't feel self-important. So I can follow him in that because his spirit lives within me. And following the Bible, the word of God. When it says love, love. When it says forgive as Christ has forgiven you, forgive. Uh, when, when, it, when it tells us how we should... Um, be compassionate towards one, with one another. We should be compassionate. We should have these tender mercies. We should let the um, let the words of Christ dwell within us richly, and kind of in this, I, I don't know how to explain it, but while we're living and we're walking, and the Holy Spirit's dwelling within us, and He's bringing these scriptures to mind, we're gonna be glorifying God. And when we sin, what's the way that we glorify God? We repent. We turn away from that sin, and we turn back to the cross. We turn back to God. And that will glorify him more than 
oh, woe is me, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a bad sinner. You are, that's true, but come back to the cross. Go back to what Christ has done. Be reminded of, of the goodness and the love that's displayed there. And for the unbeliever, there's only one thing that um, you can do. And that's putting your faith and trust in Jesus. Because that is the power of God to salvation. Anyone who believes in Jesus Christ will not see death, but they will have everlasting life. And so you need to be humble. You need to humble yourself and stop rejecting God and see God in Jesus. And to to trust that he can give you a new life, that he will bring forgiveness to you, that he will bring a a, a new creation into you, that you don't have to keep living in your sins, that you don't have to keep rejecting God, that you don't have to keep um, pushing him off, but that you can be saved and that you will worship him and walk with him. That righteousness will come to you through Jesus. That salvation will come through him. That new life will come to him. Because right now, you are without excuse. If you die walking out into that parking lot without receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's no returning from that. Because the wrath of God has been revealed to you. And the wrath of God abides on you. So come to Jesus. Give your life over to him. Know that you don't have to die without him. But when you die with Christ, you live in eternal glory. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your goodness and your graciousness. We thank you, Lord, that despite our sin, despite... um, the judgment that we have, that there is rescue, there's salvation, there's hope. We are so eternally thankful for your son, Jesus Christ, Lord. Father, help us. Help us to live um, continually to glorify you, whether it's singing songs, whether it's raising up these children, or whether it's um, being in relationship with one another. Help us to glorify you, Lord. And for those, Lord, that are, not, that are here and um, they are not saved, we just pray that your spirit would go out and that you would take those who are dead in sins and trespasses and make them alive in Jesus Christ. We pray these things in your name and for your glory. Amen.